Now, what I want to do for a short time tonight by way of a devotional, I want to talk to you about the Father and the Son. Now, we have many famous fathers and sons brought to attention in the Word of God. I think uh, of Genesis chapter 22, and there we have Abraham and the son Isaac. We know these two characters very well. And we know the typical teaching that is found in their particular unique situation. And the thought that comes to my mind is the sacrifice offered by the son. What happened in Mount Moriah way back in Abraham's day foreshadowed, prefigured what happened in Mount Moriah in the city under attack today by Hamas in the land of Israel. The sacrifice offered by the son. And then we come to Genesis 37. We have another father and son that's Jacob this time and the son Joseph. Now what do I think of when I think of these two individuals in regards to Christ? There's a suffering endured by the son. We all know the story well of how Joseph was rejected by his brethren. Uh, he was sold. Uh, he was put into a pit, then eventually into the prison, and then eventually to the palace. But before he got to the palace, there had to be that time of suffering, foreshadowing the atoning sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're talking about the Father and the Son. So we've talked about these two already. And then we, we move on to think about a third one. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 17, and the father there is Jesse. And the son is a man called uh, David. And, and we know the story about the father and the son. And what can we say about the son this time, referring to Christ? There's the success of the son in the battle. And if we take the battle to refer to the greatest battle of all time that took place, on uh, Calvary's little hill outside the walled city of Jerusalem, surely we have a great reminder of the success of God the Son when he cried, it is finished, it is complete, it is done. That testifies to the success of the work of the Son. And then we come to the Gospels, and there we have God the Father and God the Son and we've got a whole New Testament to read there of the great work of God the Father through God the Son. And there we can think about the satisfaction of the Son because there he completed the work the Father gave him to do. He finished the work. He satisfied all the requirements of the law of God, all the requirements of the justice of God and completed the great work of redemption on our behalf. So it's an interesting study to think about the fathers. Here's a wonderful story. The sacrifice that was offered by the son that leads us then to the suffering endured by the son that leads us then to the success of the son in the battle and the satisfaction of the son on our behalf. The one who's with us now by his spirit satisfied all the requirements of God that were against us, met every need.
He's a wonderful Savior. Let's focus on him tonight. Let's get our thoughts on him, Christ. If we fail to do that, we'll go home empty and barren, and we will feel in our own hearts that it's been a waste of time. That's the reason why. Now, get your focus on Jesus Christ. From the life of and service of Joseph, one of the most famous of all Old Testament saints, we may learn many wonderful lessons about practical godliness. If you want to learn how to be a practical Christian, read the life story of Joseph. Uh, the word of God records nothing untoward about him. You can search as much as you like, but you will not find anything recorded untoward said about this servant of God. We would do well to emulate his blameless character. What a character he was. Now, of course, we are to follow Christ, the master, but here we have even a human individual, a man of God, and even if we were to emulate his blameless character, that would be a credit to us because he points us to Christ himself. It also has to be said that of all the Old Testament histories, none presents a richer or more distinct picture of Christ than the touching story of Joseph. And the story of Joseph is a very touching story. And the story opens in the verses that we have read together by giving us some insight into the relationship between himself and his father Jacob. Keeping in mind now what I've been trying to say, a far greater relationship that exists between the heavenly father and the eternal son of God. The first thing I want you to think about for a moment is the special relationship. We're told here in the verse 3, Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children. So Joseph was the recipient of his father's love in a very unique and special way. There was a bond of affection between Joseph and his son that was deep and abiding. When the old patriarch heard of the supposed death of his son Joseph at the hands of a wild beast, that was what he supposed, that's what he thought had happened to his son, he was inconsolable. His heart was filled with grief and anguish. You think of, for a moment, how God the Father must have felt when his son was devoured by the beast of humanity that day on Calvary's hill. Let that sink in now. We're in his presence right now. In the presence of God who knoweth all things and seeth all things. Jacob's son didn't actually die, but God's son did. And we know Joseph, he was sold for 20 pieces of silver, and Jesus, he was sold for 30 pieces of silver. And we know the one who suggested selling Joseph for the silver, it was Judah. And we know the one who sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, it's the same word, it's, it's Judas. The Word of God is a unique book. You see, everything gels together. 
It all comes together because it was written by men moved of the Holy Spirit. And in the originals, everything they wrote down was infallible. It was God-breathed. God revealed these things unto his servants. Joseph became the Savior. That was the title he was given, the Savior of the world, because of his provision during the time of plenty. He filled the storehouses, and then when the famine came, he was able to provide for the people. And that way he was looked upon as the Savior of the world. Now, Joseph did become the Savior, but he, not without suffering. But he was spared death. Christ suffered and bled and died to be the saviour of his people. Oh, how greatly Jesus must have loved you. Oh, how greatly Jesus must have loved me to bear away my sins on his body on the cross. Do you love him tonight? Are you serving him with all of your heart, with all of your soul? Is he the most precious one in your life, closer than a husband, a wife, your favorite son or your favorite daughter, your grandchild, whatever? Is he more precious than even these things? Is there not in this human relationship a faint shadow at least of the love of the heavenly father for his only begotten son? Now, the very chapter that tells us that God so loved the world, John 3, verse 16, also tells us that the Father loveth the Son, verse 35. Oh, that we might love the Son, that we might love him with all our hearts and minds and souls. Love him like nothing else and no one else. The Father loveth the Son. What an example is set for us in the Holy Scriptures. And during his earthly ministry, on two different occasions, there was a testimony from heaven. The Father spoke from heaven. Now, he speaks to us today through his word, but then his voice was heard ringing out. Testimony from heaven. This is my, what? Beloved Son. What does it say? In whom I am well pleased. Oh, when we find pleasure in Christ, it will make life different for us. When we delight ourselves in his mercy and his grace, life will be different. If we are taken up with delighting ourselves in the Lord, everything else of no consequence will disappear from our thoughts. When we delight ourselves in the Lord, are you delighting yourself in the Lord, brethren and sisters? Do you delight in him from the moment you get up to the going down of the sun in the evening time? And the shadows fall. Close your door, put the lights off, and retire to bed. Are you going to bed delighting yourself in the Lord? Oh, that we might delight ourselves in him. And then the Bible does say, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. There it is. The love that he had for his well-beloved Son and the love that Jesus showed on the cross has bestowed upon us bountifully. Hallelujah. We are the recipients of this divine love that we should be called the sons of God. So the chain of this amazing love extends from the heart of God through the sacrificial work of the Son on the cross and reaches down 
to our hearts, the hearts of the redeemed of God, by the mighty power of the Holy Spirit. What a thought that is. What grace there is here. What mercy there is here. And tonight that love has touched our hearts. It has filled our hearts. So when our hearts are filled with love for him and we are desirous of him and taken up with him, oh, the glory that fills these hearts and lives of ours. And every child of God is loved with an everlasting love that will not leave him or her short, short of heaven. Isn't that an amazing thought? God loved the Son with a unique love, yet he gave up his Son to the death of the cross. He gave up his son, the darling of his bosom. Why did he do that? For God so loved the world. But he gave his only begotten son. Listen to it. Because he loved you, child of God. Because he loved you. This is what he did for us. And if we love him, the question is, what will we do for him? How great is the love of God for sinners. But now through the redeeming blood of Jesus Christ. We are no longer just sinners. We are sons. The constant object of his special love. God soon turns from wrath. But he never turns from his love. It's unchanging. Everlasting. So we thought about the first thing here, the special relationship. In the second place, we have the son's regard. Now, where do I find that? We're told in verse 3, he, that is Jacob, made him a coat of many colors. Obviously, Jacob thought of Joseph in a special way. If he could use modern language, he had high regard for his son. That's what I'm trying to get at. He had high regard for his son. For him, there was nobody else like him. And when we get to that place in our experience, when there's nobody else just quite like Jesus, we've arrived at a wonderful place in our experience. Because of this, Joseph, the well-beloved son of Jacob, was presented with a garment of distinction and a garment of honor. This unique quote from his father meant that he stood out. Now, if someone was to walk in here tonight uh, with a multicolored coat, say from some of these other countries where this kind of style is in, of course, style is always changing. Uh, but if someone did walk in here from, say, a foreign country, uh, wearing the, the traditional garb of that country, we might look at them. They would stand out, would they not? That's the way Christians used to stand out, you know. I, I don't think that's the, the case now. But there was a time when Christians used to stand out. I think the problem today is we blend in too much. And uh, with the changing of the changing times, God's people feel a need to change to be like everybody else. And when people change to be like everybody else, then everybody becomes like that person who has changed. And so the story goes on. <clears throat> a fad comes in, everybody has to get that particular item of clothing. And then instead of being different, everybody's the same. That's the way it works. 
And so we see this beloved son in this multicolor coat. He stands out, and I suppose we could say that uh, he stood apart from every other member of the household. He was different. Uh, and we as the people of God ought to be different, you know. That's the secret. That's the secret. We ought to be different. This unique quote from his father meant he stood out and that he stood apart. It marked him out as filling a distinguished position as the firstborn son and rightful heir. That was the thought in Jacob's mind. Now, Joseph was not the firstborn. Reuben was. And I'm sure you've read the story of how he sinned. And uh, he, he has been replaced in the mind of Jacob with with Joseph as his son and rightful heir. Reuben had forfeited the blessing of the priesthood because of his sin. Likewise, the greater Joseph, God's eternally begotten son, even in the days of his humiliation, was clothed with the garment of heavenly approval which endowed him both outwardly and in a particular way distinct from everyone and every, every, everything else. This clearly showed the father's regard for his son. His virgin birth, for example, separated him from all other men. His sinless life set him apart from every other son of Adam. His atoning death clothed him forever with the mantle of the unique mediator, intercessor, and redeemer of his people. Moreover, this wondrous person has dressed his redeemed people in the glorious and precious raiment of his own righteousness. Even foreshadowed away back there in Genesis when God took the skins of the animal that was slain and clothed Adam and Eve as a foreshadowing of the great and unique covering that God's people have experienced the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. What a wonderful thought that is. We are the righteousness of God and him. Now the priests in the Old Testament, you've read about these priests before and you've heard about them preached. They were dressed in linen garments that did not cause sweat, signifying a symbolic absence of sin. That's why the priests were not allowed to wear wool. They had to have the linen garments on there because sweat speaks of sin. For sin and sweat are linked together in man's fall. Even so, Christ has clothed his own people in the linen garment, the white linen garment of his glorious righteousness. And here we stand, complete before God to make a Korean free Presbyterian church complete in him. May we ever glory in that righteousness imputed to us and received by faith alone. It will aid us and assist us in seeking to manifest personal holiness in our lives unto the glory of God. If we know whose we are, if we know what has happened to us through grace, we have an obligation before God to manifest that perfect righteousness and living a holy life that glorifies God. 
It's a challenge to us all. The Son's regard. We are complete in him. And then finally, the spiritual reality. So we thought about a special relationship. We've thought about the Son's regard and then the spiritual reality. Now, look at what it says there in verse 4. When his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him. When they saw the young man with the beautiful coat upon him, they despised him, they hated him, and could not speak peaceably unto him. He who was fondly loved by the father was cruelly hated by his brethren. Not a very nice picture, is it? That's the picture we have. It's there for a reason. It's there for a purpose. It's there to teach us truth. That when we are identified as the Lord's servants, as the Lord's people, to be loved of the Lord means to be hated by the world. And God means, in many respects, we will not please men. When we please God, in many respects, we will not please men. In John 5, verse 17, Jesus confessed this unique place with the Father. This is what he said. My Father worketh hitherto, and I work. So he is uh, confessing here his unique relationship with the Father. And immediately, the hatred of the Jews is called forth, for it says, and the Jews sought the more to kill him, verse 28. So he's identifying himself and this unique relationship with the Father, and the Jews resent them for it. And they sought to kill him. And this is the kind of opposition we're going to have as we identify with Christ. How do I know that? Well, Jesus tells me that himself in John 15, 18, 19. This is what he says. If the world hate you, listen to it, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But listen, but because... You're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. Therefore, therefore, the world hated you. That's what Jesus told his disciples. That's what he tells us through his disciples. That's what he, that's what he reveals to us in the word. So in Joseph, we have this enmity foreshadowed in a powerful manner. As a young man, his character was exemplary, yet despite this he was hated and despised. Do you ever feel like that? Maybe when you're taking a stand in your family, taking a stand in the workplace, you'd expect people to at least honor you, maybe show some kind of sympathy for you, some kind of backbone to stand with you. But it doesn't always work that way, you know. Sometimes you're left alone. You've got to stand alone. You've got to fight alone. And you're going to be called all kinds of names. We've been there, we've done that. We've heard it all. We've experienced this ourselves. We know what we're talking about. So don't expect, if you're getting right with God or going on with God, that the world's going to give you a pat on the back and say, well done. That's not going to happen to you. It's going to be tough. It's going to be a struggle. Even fulfilling the wishes of his father with enthusiasm because he brought... The father of their evil report. And I'm of the opinion that uh, Jacob knew exactly what the rest of the boys were like. Uh, and he said to Joseph, Joseph, you keep an eye on, on your brothers and let me know what's happening. 
Some people think, well, he was a telltale. I don't believe that for a minute. He had a responsibility to tell his father how his boys were doing. That they might be corrected. That's something that we as parents should give attention to from time to time. So even when he was uh, enthusiastic in doing the will of the Father, he discovered that the pathway of such devotion was at times extremely difficult. It's not easy being a Christian. It's not easy to be faithful to the Lord. It's not easy to do what God requires of us. But we ought to strive to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Remember what the boys did. Joseph was sent to seek the well-being of his brothers. Do you see that? He's on a mission here. Sent by the father to seek the welfare of his brothers. They see him coming. They begin to plot. They begin to scheme. And what do we do with this babbler here? What do we do with this dreamer now? And you know the story, what happened. Sent on a mission by the father to feed the father's flock. And check him a shepherd. The Lord is a good shepherd, of course. The brothers plotted against him. Also, when the brothers laid hold upon him, they cast him into the pit. But the Bible tells us something more. What did they do after doing this to their brother? This horrific thing. What did they do? They sat down to eat bread. Verse 25. They sat down to eat bread. So what are they doing here? They're celebrating their apparent victory over Joseph. What despicable brothers. But their day's coming, of course. Many years after this, you know, following this, they, they, they go and tell their dad, they, they take Joseph's coat, they rip it up, they dip it in the blood of an animal that had to be killed, and, and they bring it in and say, oh, dad, can you identify this coat? Is it your son's coat? Oh, the hypocrites, as they came into the presence of their father. But their day's coming, you see. They brought in the lie. But 20 years later, after years of hatred, they were humbled before God and they had to come into the presence of their same father and they had to tell the truth this time. They had to tell the truth. Joseph is alive. Joseph is dead. The hypocrites. And after all that time, over 20 years had passed, the Lord humbled them and brought them in and said to the father, Joseph is yet alive. What did the old saint of God said? I will go and see him. He's my son. I'm going to go and see him before I die. So the message has been all about the father and the son, the special relationship. Now Israel loved Joseph then the son's regard, he made him a coat of many colors because he regarded him so highly. And then you have the spiritual reality. When we honor God, we'll not receive honor from men. But God said that he will honor those that honor him. He always does. And he always will. May the Lord be pleased to bless our meditation tonight on the word. We'll bow for a time of prayer. And I would like to encourage you again. We've done this in the past. 
last week, for example, I think it was, uh, I asked for nine or ten people to pray, and you responded very well. It makes the prayer meeting different, you know. It makes it interesting. So keep it alive tonight. Keep the prayer short to the point. Focus in again on the, the, the main need of the congregation. You need a pastor. And uh, I, I think the congregation is in agreement that we need a pastor soon. I certainly feel that there's a great need now, pastor soon. Let's focus in on this great need tonight. Pray as the Lord leads you, but please remember 